Hey everyone, welcome back to Canopy Cast. I'm John Michael Price, one of your hosts. With me are Christopher McGurn and Michael O'Connor. Today with us, we have a special guest, Matt Sweetwood, CEO at LuxNow, based out of Miami. They've got cars, they've got yachts, they've got places to stay. Matt, welcome to the show. Well, John, it is a thrill to be here. And I have to do the John Christopher Michael, everything, right? John Christopher Michael. John Christopher. <laughs> there it is. There you go. Yeah. Let's just call it JJM. Should we do some an acronym here? JoCam. 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 <laughs> there it is. Sounds that works. Good. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. I know we're really excited to you know take a deep dive into Lux now, learn about the business, uh, learn about you being brought on, and uh, what you have going on. I know you've written your own book as well, and uh, we're just excited to to get into it. So, for all of our uh, viewers and, and listeners, can you just give us a little bit of a backstory on you, uh, your experience with business, and, and ultimately how you got to your position where you are now? Yeah, sure. I'll, I won't start from the birth, but we'll start from, uh, <laughs> I, I walked out of a graduate school. I was in graduate school for mathematics of all ridiculous things and uh, walked into a business that was a small distribution business. It was a B2B business in the photographic industry. Uh, my company uh, distributed photo supplies. Now I'm really going to prove the fact that the sum of your three ages is, you know, still less than mine. Um, we used to sell film. Wow. I hope you guys actually know what film is. Yes. <laughs> I, I've, I, I believe it. it or not, believe it or not, I have seen and used a film camera in the last two months. You are the man. You are my favorite podcast host ever. That is great. What, come on, what kind of camera? Uh, it wasn't mine. It was a friend's, but I, I got the pleasure. You stole of, it, in other words. You know, I did, yes. I yes, did. exactly. Um, so we were in the photographic business distributing photo supplies to small stores. Um, and that business ended up all the way at the end, 25 years later, uh, as a, uh, the, one of the, essentially the nation's largest distributor of photo supplies, digital product. And we also had a camera superstore, um, opened a camera store. And through there, the business required many, many reinventions. We had some really times in there that were on the edge where we were 30 days from not making payroll and 30 days from running out of cash. A uh, business had to be reinvented once um, as the small stores that we were selling were being bought up by the big chains. Uh, you know, we, uh, at one point, if I remember in the late, I would say early 80s, that's 1980s, um, most of the photo supplies actually were sold through uh, independent pharmacies. And believe it or not, independent pharmacies were in every, every town in this country. They sold about 80% of the photo supplies. The movement of CVS, Rite Aid, Walgreens, and the rest of them slowly bought those stores out or put those stores out of business. And, our, and also the camera stores, too, in one-hour labs we sold were being impacted by the big box stores like Walmart and Kmart. And so we had to pivot the business, uh, reinvent the business, and we moved it from a B2B business to a B2C business. And we started selling those same photographic supplies to photographers. Um, that was a, a really interesting reinvention. It really worked well for us. Um, it was a really well thought out reinvention because we used the, the assets that we had. We didn't really have to open a new business. And we ended up being one of the largest, if not the largest seller of wedding portrait uh, photographers mm -hmm. in the country. Um, digital cameras came out in 1999. Uh, by 2008, digital cameras, I'm sorry, uh, film was gone. And so our business required another reinvention through the digital age. Uh, we ended up actually opening a camera store in 2007, I want to say, or 2008, actually, uh, when essentially most of the camera stores had gone out of business, from 10,000 to a few thousand to a few hundred. We reinvented the camera store model changed it completely, sort of what I get credit for. I got plaques here sitting in my office that say you're an important person in the photo industry because you did this. Um, and the camera store that, uh, all the camera stores that operate today operate off that reinvention of the camera store. I got to exit that business in 2015, thank God. And because, um, you know, that long in business is time to go. But no, really, it was a very successful run. We became one of the largest single location stores in the country. 
I left that business. See, I got along. I'm old, so I got long. I mean, we got another like 40 years to go. Yeah, um, I was gonna say we've got a we've got to put like a, an index attachment along with this. That's stuff. right. So you, you know, we're talking we about need a film Google cameras, Kmart. Like, half, I don't know if people are gonna understand what we're talking about. But yeah, that's right. So uh, I'll just sort of accelerate from there. I um, after I sold that business, I went on what typically people do who exit in a really good way. You know, I started my speaking career. I'm a professional speaker. I speak all the time. I wrote a book, Leader of the Pack. It's actually a best-selling book. I did really well with that book. Um, it's the story of my personal story, which happened simultaneously to this. And also, it talks about business and leadership. Um, I, I um, did consulting for a couple of years, and then now I found my way here to Miami, and I'm the CEO of a late-stage startup, post-revenue startup, to use all the right lingo of a company called LuxNow, which is a marketplace for luxury autos, homes, and yachts. Think of like Airbnb plus Toro for luxury. <laughs> I love that. Awesome. Thank you so much for, for giving us kind of a rundown of you know your backstory and everything. I'd love to take a, a little bit of a deeper dive and kind of uncover your journey into LuxNow. What was that like? Um, is that something that you you had your eyes on? Uh, you know, who approached who? And, what was that? What was that transition like? You know, going from, uh, you know, uh, the photo industry for so long into you know a completely different market and, and industry and thought pattern. Um, okay, so this actually I think is really going to be beneficial for listeners. It's and you know how do you pivot your career? That's really at the heart. How do you you know sort of find your way through? Right. Uh, when I was done uh, in my photographic business. You know, I sold the business. I, I then always wanted to be in New York City. I moved into New York City and I started consulting companies. And in that process of consulting companies, you know, there's a, um, a principle in life that consultancy is really teaching. And when you teach something, you become expert at it. And I started to study startups. I started to study business. And I came from one of the things that I didn't talk about in the backstory is that I built a luxury business in the photographic industry. That was part of the reinvention of the camera store. We took a cam camera store, it used to be just a straight up electronic store, glass counters, they stood behind the counters, they sold you a box, try to take as much money from you as you could, and see you later. That was the electronics business, and it still exists that way in some places in, inner, in the cities. You know, you go on Broadway in New York and you walk into one of those stores, you walk out with less than 10 fingers. Um, so we created an, an experience, we created that. So I was already in that very, very high-end luxury mindset, even when I left. You know, and there's a good lesson in life. You always do what you do. I'm not good at selling, you know, high volume for low margin. Not my, not my thing, you know. I wear like Robert Graham shirts, so I can't really do that kind of thing. And so for me, it was natural to find this. But really the story is I had was in a situation where I had lived my entire life, all 50 years of my life, within 20 miles of where I sat. I, it's just my life story. It's just where I literally never lived any other place other than New York or New Jersey. I spent two and a half years in Pennsylvania going to graduate school there at Penn in Philadelphia, so you know, just over the Delaware River. So I decided that I needed to do something different. It was in a situation where my consulting clients had really were I had terminated or they had just ended the gigs had ended and so on and it was really a situation where I said okay I'm going to do something different so it's not like a bold maneuver but I said I'm just literally going to go to Florida and see what happens I just want to do something different I have to because I knew that if I stood in New York and I just started to get into more stuff it would just get stuck there and I didn't want that I moved to Florida and I did some work on LinkedIn I actually went on to LinkedIn and I did a little data research on there, and I found a hundred startups in Florida, essentially startups, early stage companies. And I wrote them all a little letter, said, "I'm Matt, I'm here. How can I help you?" Sort of. And I ended up. I didn't think. I thought I'd get just a couple of responses. I ended up with literally forty or fifty meetings out of those couple hundred emails that I sent. I, I learned so much. I, I, I saw, I, I met with professors who had startups, crazy, amazing ideas, companies that were selling in the pet food area, artificial intelligence, CBD product. I saw everything. And I ended up just connecting with the people who had started LuxNow. They had been in the industry for, in the 
luxury rental business basically for 15, 20 years, but they ran a brick and mortar business. And in that brick and mortar business, it wasn't scalable because you imagine, you know, you're running a luxury business, you own 10 Lamborghinis and 12, you have millions of dollars worth of inventory. You want to expand into other cities. It's a huge capital investment, a huge risk, huge everything. And they always had the dream to make it a scalable marketplace, but they weren't operators. So they brought in somebody who's an operator, had experience in marketing and tech and finance and all of that stuff. And so it was really just a perfect marriage. Um, they knew the industry, they were in sales, they knew that side of the business. And I kind of knew this stuff. So we, we made a deal and I became CEO back in September and we have really advanced the company since then. We have fantastic tech. The LuxNow app is a very, very uh, robust app. We're very proud of the app that we have. Um, we have a very, very good management team. Um, I can show you sort of let it, let it roll right there. Ooh. That. It's kind of cool. And you can uh, everybody show your app, right? And you can see those are the locations that we're in. You can go in there. Hope somebody didn't send me something dirty. And uh, <laughs> you get the idea, right? You can see the cars. We have yachts. I'm doing this backwards, but okay, you got the idea. But you guys got the idea. So we have really great yeah. tech. We have about one billion dollars on inventory in inventory on platform already Oof. in Miami, Los Angeles, New York, uh, Havana, Cuba, and Mykonos, Greece. And we're right now, like a lot of, and we're post-revenue, we're actually booking, COVID obviously was a problem for us. And right now we're in trying to just uh, raise money and continue to build the business and hopefully we'll be the next big thing. That's awesome. Wow. Big fan. Congratulations on uh, everything you know, ramping up. I know COVID has, uh, has been an interesting situation for a lot of businesses, but you know, it's good to hear that you guys are making it through it and, and doing your best to, to bounce back. Yeah, I mean, for us, we use that opportunity. Um, obviously, travel, you know, we're kind of in the luxury travel business. Travel was completely shut. Um, and we use that time to really take aggressive steps with our tech because we could allow the tech to come down, you know, to actually not work for periods, allowing us to more quickly repair. We have a brand new website, which is about two weeks old now, completely wow. written from scratch. Um, our apps were written from scratch in, we started working on them in November and actually released them on January 1st. Wow. And we, our apps, I'm very proud of the apps there. They essentially provide the problem that Lux now solves is that there was no convenient and easy access to luxury. If you show up in a city and say, I want to stay in a luxury home or I want to rent a luxury or exotic car, or if you're in a port city and I want a yacht, there's no one method to do it. It's a little bit of the wild west when you go. And a lot of times when you rent, you're not sure what you're gonna get. And so that marketplace was not there. And our app gives very, very convenient and easy access to that kind of environment where you can reach and easy access to luxury. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's well, awesome. So I was just gonna say, any anytime that you're feeling a little generous, you wanna, you know, lend a Lamborghini or something for, you know, not a lot of money, you just let me know, I'll come down yeah. to Florida. Well, I wish the Lamborghini was mine to be able to do that with, but the concept <laughs> in a marketplace, obviously, is that you would have to speak to the person who owns the Lamborghini and he would have to be like, Christopher, you're a really nice guy. I'm just gonna let you have this car. You All know? right. Because it's not maybe my car. <laughs> maybe even permanently, you know? Yeah, just, right. That's right. They, they, you never know. You never know. I use, I just, you know, I, I can see any one of you guys cruising down Ocean Drive in a Lamborghini <laughs> here, you know, with it down, you know, whistling and whatever, you know. Yeah, taking it to the yacht and then. That's you know. exactly. That's right. Yes. Exactly. And then when so you get tired, you'll retire to your home on Star exactly. Island. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You get it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask uh, next is for, you know, people wanting to use this, uh, how hard is it to, to get your personal property on the platform? What's that it's application very process easy. like? Obviously, that's you have a marketplace that's two-sided. Uh, right. You just basically go onto the app or go onto our website. You upload some pictures. You enter some basic information, and you're ready to make money. It's a really important concept because there's a lot of luxury assets out there. An asset is depreciating. If you have a luxury automobile or even in some cases a home, 
um, the asset is depreciating. At the very least, it's not earning you any money. And a lot of times they're not used a lot, particularly in the luxury area. You know, and this is an opportunity to use, let me use sort of a direct term, is to take a depreciating asset and turn it into a income earning asset. And uh, you know, that really is very appealing to a lot of people to, to be able to do that. And sometimes, you know, we have some, I figure since you guys, young guys, you'd appreciate this. We have a lot of people who put their, let's say their automobiles on, uh, on the platform for the following reason. We had somebody who wanted to, he wanted to put, he had a very expensive car. I won't say what it is because you probably could find it if you look on the app because the way <laughs> I describe it. But he said, you know, I have a choice. I can buy this vehicle. I can't really afford the payment of the vehicle. And if I rent it two or three days a week, I can afford the payment. Otherwise, I'm driving a Toyota Corolla. Oh, so he said, look, this is wow. my way to um, drive around in, you know, to elevate my lifestyle. <laughs> and uh, do it in a way that I can afford it. And there are people who really do that, but and they don't just do it for fun. They do it because they want to earn income on it. It gives you an ability to do that. Right. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That was going to be uh, leading into my next question. Is there some kind of a, a min I'm, I'm sure there is, but what, what's the minimum, you know, value of the either car, yacht or, or house to be able okay. to make it on the platform? So this is, it's actually pretty simple. So in, let's say in the case of a yacht, I mean, there's a boat and a yacht. And as yeah. long as it's a yacht, it can go on the platform. So, <laughs> you know, we're not going to, if you want boat setter, there's other platforms out there if you want to rent a fishing boat. So we're taking only yachts on the platform. In, the right. terms of, in terms of homes, there's not really a value, but it's clear what a luxury home is and what is not a luxury home. A lot of that is location dependent. For example, if you had an apartment in New York City, you know, an apartment in New York City could be relatively small and still be considered a luxury apartment. So it's a little bit of where you are and what you're doing. And in terms of an automobile, if you simply go out there, it's done by brand. I mean, we have Rolls Royce, we have Bentley, you have Lamborghini, you have Ferrari, you have, you know, and even some of the regular brands. So there'll be a Corvette out there, but it's clear what the luxury, you know, what luxury and exotic vehicles are. So it's not so much a pricing issue. This is more of a branding issue that, that goes on. Now, for example, you can go on Toro and theoretically rent a high-end Mercedes. But if you go out there and you read about Toro a little bit, you're going to see that the people that put their luxury assets on there don't exactly have a good experience. I don't mean the people renting. That's not who I'm referring to. I'm talking about the hosts. And one of the things that we do, I call it the Lux Now Advantage, is that we carefully curate the, both the product and the people that interact. Because... If you have a $3 million home, I don't think you want a bunch of 19-year-olds having a party in your house. Right. Airbnb doesn't care, right? They don't care what they do. Tour, they just, they just, it's about volume. In our case, our business model is about a much lower volume and a much higher level of service. We even provide concierge service for our clientele. Oh, so yeah. if you come into yeah. town and you're spending enough money, we're going to make sure that things go well for you when you come. And similarly for the host, we're going to make sure that the wrong thing, does, we try to make sure the wrong thing doesn't happen in the homes or the yachts or whatever it is. That was, that was the next thing I was going to say. Do you offer insurance through the platform? Um, or like if something, if something happens, is we're, it covered? We're, through? we're about to. So typically okay. this is one of, so this is, now let's get into a little bit of startup tech play. Oh right? boy. Right. Cause this is really at the meat. So obviously we're collecting a lot of data and we know a lot of information about, you know, people who are placing properties on the platform. Right now, currently we use the, we use the actual renter's auto insurance, but that's going to change soon. We're in negotiation with insurance companies and we're building tech into the platform so that people are going to be able to provide insurance directly through the platform. We're also looking at future opportunity to be able to provide a better access to insurance for the people who own property. Imagine okay. you come on the platform, you list your home, and we can come to you and say, okay, we might be able to give you a better package for your home that also includes insurance to protect you against rent for renters. So mm -hmm. there's lots of opportunity to do that in there. It's in the very, very near future plans. Yeah, because I think that would be a you know a concern of mine if, if I so happen to 
own a Lamborghini uh, <laughs> that, that, you know, someone would come on that had, you know, the bare minimum car insurance. No, no, no. And, we won't let it. We'll make them cover. Yeah. So, for example, like, let's say they have a basic policy. In order to rent that Lamborghini, they're going to have to up their policy to be so they're covered. Wow. Yeah. And we'll take them through the process of doing that. Um, if you use it for people who own American Express uh, platinum cards or black cards, they provide that premium, you know, all the credit card companies give you basic, you know, collision coverage, you know, most of the high end cards. But American Express Platinum and black cards actually provide a premium insurance that would cover your Lamborghini if they use those cards and paid. It's like $20 a month to get that premium insurance. I actually didn't know that. I have an Amex card. It's $20. It's like $20. I'm sorry, a day to get that uh, premium insurance. So if you have a platinum card, American Express platinum card, you can actually sign up for their premium insurance and you can rent a very high end car with that. You'll pay a little more for it, but this is not what it's about. It's about being able to have that Lamborghini for a day or two. You'll spend the $40, $50 extra on insurance to do this. Not a big deal. Interesting. Hmm. Well, there you go. If you have an American Express Platinum card, go rent a Lamborghini. You have to go Not sign awesome. up. It's like one of the benefits in there. It's like in the second, third menu down, but you can sign up for it. <laughs> wow, that's cool. That's cool. Did not know that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to uh, to look into. It's addition to the regular. Yeah. Obviously, if you have a platinum card or a gold card or uh, you know yeah. a Visa black card or whatever, they all give you basic auto insurance. But that's for mm -hmm. when you're driving, you know, the Ford whatever from Hertz. Mm -hmm. You know, they're giving you basic collision insurance. Sure, yeah. You know, awesome. this is different. This is a, you know, an, an added feature. Yeah. So what, uh, I, I guess, you know, next question for me, you, you have the cities that you're in now. What are, what are plans for expansion? Uh, well, it'll be expansion. The first uh, thing we do is we're going to win uh, the cities that we have. So we right. want to be the champions in those cities, prove concept in those cities. We already are doing that. We're post revenue. We're already generating revenue. Even COVID has been really hard on us, but we're actually taking bookings now. People, you have to realize also that our, our properties are very exclusive. So if you want a vacation and you want to do it alone, this is a really good opportunity to do that. You know, you're on a yacht basically with you and whoever you choose and you're in a home by yourself and you're driving a car that obviously the host is very sensitive about. You know, you're driving a very high-end automobile. So we offer very COVID-friendly friendly stays. Um, so we believe that we're going to come out of this really well. But expansion for us will be to really gain significant market share in the cities we're in and then eventually expand into additional cities. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess what a quick question from... From me is you know what 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 went into the initial cities i find it fascinating um you have havana and mykonos there as well like that that's that's so interesting what was the like the decision making process like there okay great question um so in the united states the heart of luxury is miami the founders originally had their brick and mortar business here this is the place where people come and and do this it's it's sort of um the Las Vegas version, you know, people go to Las Vegas for one kind of love, you know, one kind of experience. They come to Miami, South Florida. When I say Miami, I really mean South Florida. They come to South Florida for that kind of, so that's a very logical place. And then the, obviously we go to the big metropolitan areas. That's why we started with New York and Los Angeles. So those are places where luxury assets are in demand. There are luxury assets available and luxury assets are in demand. You think about Los Angeles, you think about, you know, Beverly Hills, you think about, you know, all of the high-end areas out there. There's lots of, there's lots of properties out there to actually list. Um, in terms of the other locations, Mykonos, Greece was our attempt to test our platform in an international destination. And it strictly came out of a business relationship. And if you think of Mykonos, it's a very closed community out there. And so we're able to get a measurement on the market. It's sort of like the reverse of Miami or New York, which is wide open. It's a very small international market where we can control the business. With respect to Havana, Cuba, Havana, Cuba is a very special place for us to try to make a name for ourselves, to really get people's attention. Because if you, I don't know if any of you have ever tried to go to Cuba. Have you ever tried to go there or stay there? No, no. 
The word luxury and Cuba have nothing to do with each other. It's extremely hard for Westerners to travel there and find comfortable accommodations. There's two basic hotels there that have slightly elevated status. But other than that, it's really a rough ride. So if you want to go, let's say you're going to try to do business there or you want to, you meet one of the government allowances for going there and you want a better experience, we have access to the homes there that are better. They're more comfortable mm -hmm. to stay in and so on. So we believe it's a unique position that because we have a personal, a personal approach to the business are able to provide for our customers. I think that's fascinating going into that underserved market and kind of utilizing that almost grassroots approach to be able to pull from that demand and create this really powerful supply that I, you know, never would have thought about. It's the opposite situation of Miami in the sense no. that Miami, there's luxury everywhere, right? There's just no. endless amounts of luxury inventory in Havana. You got to work hard to find the inventory. Both offer business advantages. Obviously, in a place where the marketplace is big, there's room for lots of people to operate. In the other place, you can have an exclusive situation where nobody's really, you think Airbnb is focusing on, I don't, I mean, they're just trying to stay alive. If you read the article that appeared recently in Entrepreneur Magazine, where the CEO of Airbnb was like, 12 years to build this in six weeks, goodbye. But I actually think that's a little bit of, it, I think COVID is a little bit of a cover-up for the business model that they were running there. I think just too fast expansion, too not really caring about the way the listings go and so on. So I think their business model needed massaging anyway. Hmm. That's interesting. I was just going to say, you know, in addition to what Mike just kind of mentioned, I, I love your approach. I think it's, it's very wise with the two opposite extremes of where there's a complete, you know, like just a ton of luxury, right? Miami, New York, Los Angeles, but then you also have um, Mykonos, which is definitely more like uh, secluded, uh, like you were saying, and then like Havana. I think it's just, it's very wise that you're, you're attacking both of those. I find that very fascinating, yeah. Right, and on the other side too, we won't expand beyond that until we can really have our marketplace working and everything, right. because you also don't want to spread yourself out and you know yeah. we're, gonna go, we're gonna go engage in a marketing campaign in fact literally i'm gonna leave this discussion and i'm talking to my marketing team you know <laughs> and we're gonna we're plotting and planning how you know as soon as it's the right time we're holding still obviously because you know COVID is not going in the right direction right now um you know we're holding and then we're gonna launch marketing and we have limited res you know everybody's got limited resources we don't want to we don't want to be in 50 cities we want to be right where we are right now and then use the revenue and so on we generate from those cities. Obviously, right. if somebody comes along and, and we get a big investor, you know, then we can be a little bit more aggressive yeah. with our marketing. And I think that's so smart for, for a couple reasons. You know, one, obviously, you know, not trying to do too much too soon. Um, it's a very predictable, it's much more steady, right? Slow and steady wins the race kind of thing. Like, I, I love that. But in addition to that, I, I also see kind of like that whole like kind of exclusive feel of like, oh, it's only available in certain locations right now. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not easily accessible. Um, and the people who are going to be using it can afford to travel to those places. So it, it works really well that it's not like super accessible to just anyone either. I think that works really well in your favor. Yeah. I mean, we're really considering, we were actually setting the, the stage for it, but we're going to very soon, you know, have membership, you know, we'll, we'll, we're exclusive properties and exclusive offerings will be available for membership you know, and that will be built into the platform too, you know, and just along the lines of what you were saying. Yeah. I, I think it's really important too, that you're taking the approach of, you know, heavily vetting everyone on the platform as well. Uh, that's one thing that I've seen a huge flaw with an Airbnb's platform is that you know, there are a lot of Airbnbs on there that should not be listed. Uh, I've, I've even been to a couple where, you know, online, it's it's really fascinating to me how it can happen but reviews are great pictures look great location looks great you get there and doesn't look anything like the pictures and you have no idea where the reviews came from yeah you're you think that you're renting a penthouse and you're getting a crack house right right so i think you know this is this is definitely a platform that a lot of people um you know will see 
what you guys are doing and, and why and gravitate towards. Yeah, and there's another aspect too. You know, you want to be able to be there. Someone is spending, you know, look, the luxury on our platform is accessible. I, I don't want to give people an idea that they have to spend $30,000 a weekend to enjoy luxury. I mean, a few thousand dollars and you can have, you know, a pretty amazing weekend in one of our locations. And when someone's spending a few thousand dollars, you know, for a weekend or to do something like that, the expectation is that things are going to go a little better. And if you right. don't meet that expectation, you're going to fail. And so we watch over the transaction. We have concierges. We call them lifestyle managers. I mean, you can basically call one of them almost 24-7 if something goes wrong. And we'll do something about it. I can't say that it's never happened. Where they've gotten to a home and the home wasn't in the perfect condition. We had this happen actually this weekend. Is that we had, actually, we had a VIP guest. A lot of celebrities and athletes use us. So for the thing, and we had a celebrity guest show up at a very high-end home. And the home was not clean to the satisfaction. You know, you have a big home. They just didn't like it. I didn't think it was, I, from what I understood, I didn't handle it myself, but I didn't, I heard it wasn't really, it's questionable. It didn't matter. We get, we had a cleaning crew there like in two hours and they cleaned the house. It's okay. We did it. Took care of it. You know, you, you do that kind of thing. You know, they, they were renting an $8,000 house. You know, it's okay. You, it's okay. If they're not happy, we'll go take care of it. You know, if somebody's renting a Range Rover and it's $500 a day. Okay. That's another story. But when you have clients coming in and they're spending that kind of money, the expectation clearly is that something good is going to happen and we're going to make sure that that good thing happens. Yeah. Yeah, that's really important. It's on the flip side, though, obviously, you know, if I'm sitting here and I'm talking to a venture capital firm and I make that statement to them, they're going to turn to me and they're going to be like, Matt, how are you scaling that? And I kind of like, well, you know, our average, and then I sort of get into say, look, most of the transactions are going to be this, you know, $2,000 transaction where somebody is renting, uh, you know, a Mercedes Sprinter for two days because they're driving their family around. And this is the, there's no touch on that. It's this sort of very special transaction. And then you sort of look to the margins and you look to the volume of the business. And we will eventually have to have concierge or lifestyle managers in most of the largest cities that we serve. Have you thought about partnering with some kind of a, a concierge agency um, that's already you know, very expansive and, and has that platform uh, and, and kind of, you know, sharing a cut of the profit with them if, if need be? Yeah, we, we're looking for all sorts of partnerships to work. We're looking for we're, we're, we're discussing with some jet companies now to partner with them because sometimes not our average customer, but it's really um, a jet company can be a really nice feeder for what we do. People who fly in private jets really want private, uh, you know, kind of accommodations. So that's one kind of partnership. We have marketing partnerships that we're working. In fact, I'm not ready to announce one yet, but we have an amazing marketing partnership with a company that has a lot of very, very well-known people under their umbrella. They produce a lot of events. And we already have a signed marketing agreement with them where they're well-known people are going to talk about what we do and use us Great. for their services and stuff. So there's lots of strategic partnerships that are, you know, in the plans. COVID really got in the way of that because businesses really froze. And, you know, and I think they froze not because executives like me want to just like we're afraid of what to do. We're really looking to see what business will look like coming out of it you know, and really where to put our resources and where to go after. It's not so clear yet. You know, I have some guesses and I've made some anticipatory maneuvers, but even still, we want to be really careful about what happens because I don't think anybody can tell you what the economy is going to look like, you know, over the next, let's say, six months, six to 12 months. Right. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely hard to predict that. Mm. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm just like, processing everything i'm just like losing it over here this is so cool you're 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 you've stuck your nose into the heart of an actual operating startup and you can see <laughs> i'm a pretty open guy i sort of uh i just i put it out there you know it's, it's a jersey in me. it's so good though I, I love that and and this is like a recurring theme on on different episodes you know with 
entrepreneurs actually like, you know, sharing their journey and not, you know, keeping it all hidden because it's for people to learn, you know, like the one liner here at Canopy Cast is an ecosystem of expertise. And that's why we're showcasing the people that we are. It's for, you know, like where I know I'm learning. I know the two guys here are learning every episode. There's so much, but for our listeners and viewers, like it's for their benefit too. Right. So one thing I'll tell you, because you know, there's a lot of people, you know, startups are, are in trend, you know, we, by the way, when I was your ages, we didn't call it startup. We called it small business. <laughs> I don't even know the startup thing. Just, you know, we're running a business. I don't know. We use the word startup now. Is startup is a very hard life. The thing yeah. that I didn't tell you is that when I, when I came to Florida, you know, and I decided to take the position, I was offered positions at established companies that would pay me, you know, a regular paycheck. And I was either smart enough or stupid enough to pass on that and take on startup life where I walked into a place and I had to be the CFO, the CEO, the CMO, the CLO. L is for latrine, chief latrine officer. And, you know, and where I could have just, you know, ran a division of a company or done something like that because I love the challenge. But coming with that challenge is a lot of rejection. Now, fortunately, when I was in my dating life, I got rejected so much, I'd become numb to it. So now in my business life, when I get rejected, it's just like, whatever. I move on and I just ask the next girl. It's no problem. So, but I know in all seriousness, rejection is part of it. I came from the photo industry where I was like top dog. Like everybody, you know, was like, that's Matt Sweetwood. He's like the really cool dude. Person of the year. I got a big crystal thing. I can show it to you right on the thing, you know, photo <laughs> industry, exec of the year, you know, big stuff. When I left that industry, they were like, who are you? Who are you? I walk now, I call up a venture capital firm. They're like, they're like, aren't you a little old to be doing this? You know, or something like that. I get all sorts of stuff. They're like, no, they don't return my calls. I get a guy like you sitting in a front office making me sit in the chair. It's okay, you know, it's part of the challenge. It makes victory sweeter. But I will tell you that if you're gonna go into startup life, be prepared for rejection, be prepared for hard work and mm-hmm. obstacles and just asking yourself, why did I do this? You know, I could be like, you know, I think Starbucks gives health care. You know, I could do that. I really like coffee and everything, you know, and get my health care and just go and play golf. You know, that's it. But, um, you know, we want this because we want challenge. We want to find success. And, you know, this is what this is like. Startup is a very rewarding and very painful. Just mm. my two bits out there. Yeah, Absolutely. That actually transitions into, you know, something I, I wanted to ask. I know we're, we're getting close to time, but uh, I guess my last question for you, Matt, is if there is one thing that you could say, like, what's the biggest thing you have learned over the years? And maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe it's, you know, what you just mentioned about rejection, but um, whether it's being CEO uh, of this company or if it's with other ventures, like what's the biggest thing you've learned over the years? The biggest thing I've what's it again? Last part? That you've learned over the years. Learned. What's the biggest yeah, thing? Yeah. Um, and I think I really reflect this a lot in my book, Leader of the Pack, is that it's a it's it, no matter how tough things get, no matter how bad it seems, no matter you know whatever the circumstances, if you want to succeed badly enough, if you just want it badly enough, you're going to make it happen. And and that's what I've always learned in my life. And sometimes when things are not going right. or I I fail, I always sort of say to myself, did you want that badly enough? And I will tell you every time the answer that I have failed is no. And I will tell you every time I have succeeded, and that included raising my little kids as a single dad, right? I raised five little kids as a single dad, sole parent. I ran a business, grew it from 1 million to 100 million. And those things happened simply because I just wanted it bad enough. I was refused to fail. And I think that's really at the heart of anything. And so when you go into something, just be prepared. That you're, if you're willing to do whatever it takes, you're likely to succeed. It's as simple as that. It's not simple. It actually requires, you know, belief in yourself, belief in God, if that's what you have or whatever it is. But it's like, and that's how I walked into Lux Now. I walked into Lux Now and the, and the founders, their final question to me before they decided they were putting me on and making me their boss, because that's what happens when you hire a CEO. He beats up the founders because, you know, he knows more. So that's why they're hiring them. I, they said to why should we hire you? I said, because I'm not coming here to fail. And under no circumstances, is this company ever going to fail under my watch? And I'm going to do everything in my human powers to make sure that's the case. 
Mm. And if you take that attitude into anything that you do, you're most likely to exceed. There's a simple line. Relentless people very rarely fail. So if you are relentless, you will win. Mm. There it is. Thank you. Yeah. I'd uh, love to love to hear that. I think you know a lot of a lot of people need to hear that too, especially right now with uh, how hard times are. You need to you need to keep going. But yeah, I, I know I want to hear you know a little excerpt and in, in what your book is about. Um, but before we do that, one last thing with with Lux now in your career. Uh, one of my uh, one of my favorite things to do is ask uh, people, you know, what has been one of your favorite experiences uh, throughout your career with either a client, an employee, an employer? Um, what, what has been one of your favorite experiences? I think, for, I think for me, I know it's gonna sound a little, I, you know, I could give you some deep moments where employ, you know, you've hired somebody and they were really disadvantaged. I could talk about, I hired a, a, a legally blind person to be in my accounting department and he was working in there for years as a clerk and his manager went away and I walked in and I, I really, I didn't even realize, and I went to him, his name was Nando actually. And I went to him, I said, how do you, how do you do this? You, you can, he goes, I memorized the numbers. I remember this. I gave him a chance. I put him in charge of the department. He ended up vice president of finance, had a 20 something year career. I can talk about lots of stories like that where you personally have made decisions with, with people. But I think for me, it's sort of the career itself in that I was in an industry where very few people succeed. The photographic electronics industry is an industry where very people succeed. I successfully reinvented that company twice. And I actually got to sit here and tell you guys I exited that business successfully. Most people exit that business by failure. So, and that's really my whole career. That's really the most rewarding thing for me is that I have succeeded where most or many people have failed. And to me, that's really what I, um, sort of get the most joy out of in, ref in reflection. And now I'm in Miami and I get to look a lot of pretty people. So that's, that's the highlight right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, on the, on the converse, and, I know we, we only have- The yeah. men here are very pretty too, I will tell you. It's very upsetting. <laughs> I mean, I'm like this middle-aged ball guy walking around, you know, and I'm looking at these guys like, you know. It's <laughs> funny. Yeah, I'm the, I know we've only got a uh, we got a few minutes left. I know I want to I want to give Mike and Chris time for last questions, but I've I've got to bring up my new uh, my new favorite segment of the show. Uh, uh -oh. We're we're calling this uh, you know any anytime entrepreneurs business owners come on. Uh, it, it started a couple episodes ago uh, with Cynthia. Uh, shout out to Cynthia, but um, she was talking about unicorns and, and the startup industry and everything and how everybody wants the unicorn and media, you know, kind of displays it as this overnight success. And I think you're in the position right now where, you know, a lot of people will look at Lux now and, you know, your post revenue, but you're not exploding. You know, it's not like Airbnb, you know, Airbnb didn't make it overnight, you know, Stripe didn't make it overnight. Mm -hmm. um, they grew into these, these unicorns over a long period of time and having to deal with a, a lot of issues. And um, this is one of my new favorite segments. We call it uh, unicorn shit because everybody wants the unicorn, but no one wants to have to deal with the, the unicorn shit. So mm -hmm. what has been one of the, the biggest downfalls, biggest mess ups, um, something you didn't think you were going to be able to overcome while your business was growing, um, you know, just for people listening in to, to learn that lesson of how you overcame it. Yeah, I think in, in our case, uh, and I'll go back to my time in the photographic industry, if you don't mind, I think that's really, mm -hmm. really the, sort of the thing. I think that when we, my company had a five share of the rolls of film sold in the United States, 5% of the rolls of film went through our doors. Wow. We built a big company out of that. I always say my ex-wife got very rich off that company. And <laughs> overnight, that disappeared. And the entire, literally overnight, I can show a graph of film sales. And in 2008, film sales went like this, boom. They disappeared. I was in the, I tell you, I was in the, the CEO's office, Eastman Kodak Company. It's like film sales can go like this, nice and gentle. They went like, boom, like that. 
So we had a business that was essentially out of business. But I had five kids to pay for, thinking about college in the future. I had 100 people working for me. And it was one of those things. How do we pull out of this? And we were able to reinvent a business there where, no, where essentially nobody else was able to do it. So for me, that was sort of the, the low point. I remember sitting in my office. I mean, I was depressed. I mean, I didn't know how I was going to hold it together. I didn't know how I was going to make it. I let myself go. I got overweight. I just stress and all of those things. But eventually, and I give a great talk on this, by the way, on, you know, uh, uh, being on, on you, how you yourself can pull yourself out of these things, you know, where you sort of look for your own inner strength. You know, it's, and my talk is the principles of personal responsibility. And I took it personally upon myself to try to um, sort of elevate us out of this. And to me, that was it. That was the low point. We were on the edge of out of business. I mean, I can't tell you how close my company was to on the edge. Like literally 30 days, I had no idea how we were going to pay for the inventory, the bills, cash flow, payroll, rent, whatever it was. And somehow we were able to pull it out. Thank you for sharing. I know a lot of people, um, a lot of people need to hear that. And that's one of the reasons why you know, I love bringing it up is because, you know, it's, it's great to talk about successes. It's great to talk about, you know, the exciting partnerships and, and the revenue and new deals coming in and, you know, yeah. your, your 50,000 user client base and, and all the other stuff, but it's just as important to hear about the lows. So that's right. And you should, anybody, it doesn't matter what happens. You can always, you reinvent, you reinvent, you reinvent, you work at it and just want it badly enough. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I know we're, we're getting close to time. Mike and Chris, do you, do you have any last questions or Matt? I asked my last questions one. for us. I have, I have one last question just because you, right. you mentioned, you know, living in the New York, New Jersey area for so long and then moving to Miami. Are you a big sports guy? And if so, what was that like? Are you still a New York fan? Are you now a Miami fan? <laughs> what's, the, what's the ins and outs of that? <laughs> okay, so I when I was growing up, I was like a huge Dallas Cowboys fan, even though I lived in, <laughs> in, in Jersey. And then they fired Tom Landry. And I had one of these moments, like I'm rooting for a team in Texas. They fired like unceremoniously, got rid of all the players. I'm like, watching the salaries and the players, I sort of lost interest in rooting for a team and I became a fan of football. It's similarly with baseball. So I just would watch the game. So it's, it's such a fun thing to watch these amazing sports and not be a fan of the team. Cause you know, you go to a bar and they're all like giants fans in the bar. And of course their view of the game has no bearing on reality of what's going on. Cause you're basically impartial. You know, they view it through blue tinted glasses and so on. But I am, did become a huge hockey fan. And I am a huge New Jersey Devils fan, was a season ticket holder for many years. I've had crazy interactions uh, with the team, very disappointed with current management and the way they run the team. But I have always been a Devils fan. I actually used going to Devils games as a way to bond with my kids when they were younger. Mm. I wrote a great article on like, I'm not freaking taking them to Chuck E. Cheese anymore. I had this moment as a single dad, I was in Chuck E. Cheese. I'm like, I ain't never going there again, ever, 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 ever. Like my feet stick to the floor and women looking at me like, what the hell are you doing there and stuff? I said, that's it. We're doing something else. Bought season's tickets for a bunch of us to go see the Devils. Took my kids to see Devils games forever. We're still all Devils fans 20 years later and that's it. Let's go Devils. That's awesome. <laughs> Three Stanley Cups later, you know, I will add. There you go. There yeah, you go. there you go. <laughs> last, last question for me, uh, your book for, and I definitely wanted to get more into it. Unfortunately, we're running out of time uh, for, for people out there who are readers. Um, you know, what's a, a 30 second to a minute, uh, you know, introduction. What's the book about? Where, where can they find it? The title of the book is leader of the pack. How a single dad of five led his kids, his business and himself from disaster to success. So if you are in any kind of difficult circumstance in your life, this book talks about how I did all of these stupid things in my life and I did really stupid things. It's like a mea culpa of all the stupid things I did. I completely humiliate myself in a very honest way. I share the male side of parenting and how we view parenting, which women love when they read the book because men very rarely talk about that. I talk about how I transform myself, the business and everything else. And it's, I, I believe it's a really good guide for someone who wants to get themselves in a better place. And like I said, you read the 135 star reviews 
you'll see that people really, um, it really makes a difference in your life. Everybody's told me that it's a one night read or two night read, they can't put it down. Um, so I'm really excited about the book. Very rewarding for me because the book helps a lot of people. If, if, if you guys get to write books, you'll see it's not about making money when you write a book because you don't, right. you know, you're better off working at Starbucks. You make more money per hour. Um, I'm picking on Starbucks. You know, I don't actually, I don't like Starbucks. <laughs> I can pick on Their coffee's just not, not good. Um, so the book really, I believe, will transform anybody's life. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on, get a link from it on my website, msweetwood.com or reach out to me on Twitter at msweetwood or whatever. I'm at msweetwood everywhere. I was like one of the first guys. I had hair when I actually started on social media. <laughs> so I got my name everywhere. M Sweetwood everywhere. We'll make sure to drop go. all the links. We'll uh, make sure yeah. to drop all the links, the website, all that stuff. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Sweetwood. Matt, thank you for coming on the show. Check him out on Twitter. We'll be dropping links. Make sure to go to luxnow.com. Uh, check out luxnow, all they have to offer, hopefully in a city near you. Uh, Matthew, once again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on the show and all of your insight. Pleasure was all mine. John Christopher Michael. That's right. Thanks for having me. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Of course. Thank for you. everyone listening in, until next time. Today's episode is brought to you by Kidcaster. Kidcaster books entrepreneurs on top podcasts. Get on-demand podcast placements scheduled for you by professionals for a flat monthly rate. Where are you in your entrepreneur journey? Validation? Launch? Traction? Scale? Wherever you are, podcasts will take you further. We ain't talking about small talk. We're talking about the good stuff. Real, actionable communication. Find out more and apply today at kitcaster.com.